Hey legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimizing human performance and want to bring you exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. In this episode, I speak to an individual who serves the UK as one of the highest ranking civil servants whilst managing her family in the process. We talk about the pressures of motherhood and juggling the two halves of her life while she strives to be better tomorrow than today. Episode 11, Helen Halliwell. So Helen, thank you very much for joining me today. I very much appreciate it. I want to start off by asking, when you were a little girl, did you ever envisage that you'd have a career in the civil service? No. Gosh, I don't think I even knew what the civil service was until after I graduated. Um, From a really young age, actually, I'd always wanted to be a doctor. From the age of kind of nine, ten, that was my whole focus. So all of my work experience, all the books I'd read... You know, subscribing to British Medical Journal while I was still at school and quite young. It was all about focusing on that. But um, I didn't, I, whilst I got a place at university to study, I didn't get the grades that I needed. So I went through clearing, as lots of people do when they first don't get their kind of first choice and studied uh, pharmacology and physiology instead, um, which, was, which was good. But I didn't enjoy it as much because you don't have the people aspects. It was really science based. So then I was like, what on earth do I do now? Because medicine's all I'd ever wanted to do. And I saw at a graduate recruitment fair, there was a, a glossy brochure for the Ministry of Defence. And it had people flying in helicopters outside number 10 in the House of Parliament. I thought, well, that looked quite interesting. And I've kind of always been interested in the armed forces, having grown up near Yeovilton. <laughs> um, um, but for other reasons, I, I didn't think it was a, a career choice for me. So this seemed like a, a good thing to go and explore. And that's kind of how it all started. And I can't believe it's 20 years ago this year we've got the same length career length because i was wow as well so fantastic um, two decades eh? that's quite a See, look time. how i've aged compared to you you still you still look really young I'm clearly doing the wrong bit. it's because i'm not frowning i've got really bad frown lines you see that it's, it's terrible <laughs> so so how did you how did you find life in the civil service so i i yeah uh, on the whole i've absolutely loved it I found, particularly in the defense, in defense, there's so many different jobs that you can do all within the same department. I haven't counted, but I think I'm probably on job 17 or 18 within that time. So I've done some at short, short crit. And you can just do some really different things, whether it's policy or whether it's getting involved in operations. Did a little bit on finance side, obviously doing a bit on HR. I've done strategy, policy. Um, and I've had t- tours in other government departments too. So I spent a couple of years in the prison service. I spent a year with DFID in the Department for International Development. So I've managed to um, get outside defence as well. I think defence will always be my core home department, but I think it's quite refreshing and good to get out and uh, go and work in other government departments too. But really enjoyed it because the work that you do, I think my values are, you know, really associated. I have a strong calling for what defence does and what it stands for. Um, And working with the armed forces, um, working with a mix of services, just brings another dimension and another richness to the experience. Yeah, amazing. And so what, what role have you got at the moment? At the moment, I'm the Director of Armed Forces um, Personnel. I have been uh, in this role for nearly, yeah, for two years now. Crikey, that's gone quick. It's quite broad and it seems to be continuously growing. Um, so I'm responsible for Armed Forces pay pension allowances. So some, you know, billions of pounds of public sector money. Um, I'm uh, responsible for modernising terms and conditions of service, so bringing in flexible service, part-time roles for people in the armed forces. 
I have the defense accommodation strategy portfolio, um, which is uh, we're obviously trying the future accommodation at the moment where people have a bit more choice about buying and renting out in the private sector. Um, and then I have the service justice system and service complaints, although we're looking to make some changes on where that might sit from the 1st of April. So uh, news coming up on that. Um, and then I have the Armed Forces um, Health, Wellbeing and Welfare portfolio, uh, which includes things around the Armed Forces Covenant as well. So quite, quite broad, but obviously not, I don't do it by much. myself. Not too I've much. got a team of uh, about 160 military and civilian that support me in that. And so what is day-to-day life like for you in terms of your schedule? I mean, that, you know, you've got a few bits going on there. Yeah, the schedule is the crazy bit. It is uh, back-to-back meetings all day. Um, but I have got much better in the last year about putting in time to do uh, learning and development activities or putting in time to, to read papers or, you know, chat the 150, 200 emails that come in every day. Um, so I've got much better at kind of putting in some time to do that because before that was getting crunched up into um you know nighttime or weekends and it's not sustainable I don't think to do that year after year after year you get some jobs where you know are going to be really busy um but it's I don't think it's sustainable to do that throughout your whole career so I'm much better at putting time in for clearing board papers and that kind of stuff um and also for putting in breaks so COVID and homeschooling to kids so mine are 11 and 8 so it forced me to put in a half hour break mid-morning half hour break mid-afternoon just to go and check on them and obviously enough time to make them some lunch because normally you just work through all of that um, if you're in the office and you're not having them so that was a really good discipline and one actually that I really hope to keep now they've um, gone back to school just to make sure I am at least getting half an hour lunch break and I've actually started doing walking meetings as well so I had a walking meeting yesterday and the day before if it's just a one-on-one I don't need to write loads of stuff down then doing it on the phone with a pair of headphones and just getting outside from fresh air has really made a difference and breaks up the day a bit. Yeah, that's a that's a really good idea actually, and and I'm thinking now about trying to where I can implement in that that in my day. Now the weather weather is getting better. I'm pretty firm as well about putting stuff in the calendar, so I make it really clear when I start work and when I finish, because um, it's not fair on the kids or you've got kids' responsibilities even when they are at school. I still need time to pick them up, drop off, all that kind of stuff. So I think being really clear in the calendars are accessible to everybody. Uh, in defence so um, people yeah yeah yeah. then do not choose to put meetings in when it says that I'm not working <laughs> yeah no, that's interesting and <laughs> I mean anyway it doesn't always work but I think it's important to start with some kind of framework yeah absolutely and I think it's it's pro- it's important to I don't I don't want to underestimate the work that you do um, because for the people that will listen to this you've been inc- absolutely incredible in your in your pursuit towards the betterment of mental health for armed forces and, and veterans and now listening to where your sort of journey started in medicine and your connection with people that makes sense now why you're you had a had a passion for that particular strand in your in your many strands of work yeah I also was really fortunate um through union college to work uh, for the British Nursing Association so I used to um, work just as a healthcare assistant, but I did it for many years as I was going through education. And I got to work in so many different settings, everything from nursing homes to hospitals, to the orthopedic hospital at Stanmore, to psychiatric wards, to um, yeah, community-based um, people with uh, mental ill health. So I got to see a whole range of different kind of healthcare settings, which also 
kind of help drive that passion, I think, too. So it's great now that I'm working on Armed Forces Health, Wellbeing and Welfare, and particularly mental health and being the defence mental health champion as well. It gives me just another platform to be able to go in and talk and hopefully uh, invigorate activity. Yeah, and make no mistake, the work that you do is incredible and it does have benefit um, at the grassroots level. So you know, I, I know that there can be a disconnect from essentially the top of the tree to the roots, and but it does, it does filter down and it is noticed. So I just want to say thanks for that. Thank you. What, so what is it about people that, that you want to be around and, and work with and, in, and invest into? Um, crikey. <laughs> well, just anyway, uh, because you, you, defense, you, 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 do you mean? already in the last sort of 10 minutes, you've, everything's been geared around working with people and trying to help people invest in, in supporting others. So there's obviously a passion and connection there. Well, yeah, I think people are just obviously fascinating and um, understanding people's stories and the reasons perhaps why they do the things they do. Um, you know, understanding the power of people and what people can collectively do together, understanding just how resilient people are and the kind of challenges that they overcome and just drawing real inspiration from what um, others are able to do. I think, you know, it kind of hits every level. It hits the emotional level, the intellectual level, the physical, the moral, the spiritual, the values-based. It kind of hits all those different levels for me, I think. I'd like to shift tack slightly um, and we've we've you know helpfully provided a context of your professional career but what I'm really really interested in is more to do with your the balance of your personal life and more moreover your family you've you've got a and you are having a very successful career and I'm under the no illusions that there would have been highly stressful times and, and and difficulties along the way like everybody else would have had would have had but I really want to try and identify the, the, the relationship between your personal and your professional, obviously trying to be supermom and have a and have a career. And so can you remember your fir- first thoughts when you fell pregnant, obviously other than elation, hopefully, <laughs> um, when, when yeah. with, with your first child, what was your thoughts with regards to your professional career? Because it's probably arguable to say that it's, different now for women in what the workplace anyway not not necessarily defense than it was maybe 11 years ago um so can you remember your first thoughts on how am I going to deal with this yeah I can and yeah and it's and it is kind of linked to to work stuff as well so before I fell pregnant with George I'd actually had three miscarriages in quite quick succession and the doctor had said to me that one of the reasons was the pressurized work environment that I was in so it was a conscious choice to leave that job because I was trying to get pregnant and the doctor just said, look, it's not going to work. And it wasn't actually in defence, interestingly. Uh, so I moved to another government department and within the month fell pregnant again. And I've been given this um, nine month project. So not, I, not the baby then. And I was like, right, well, I really have got to deliver this project in nine months. It was setting up the civil service stabilisation card in DFID. And he came, and I had everything ready. The paper was going, the board papers were going to finally sign it off on the Monday and Friday, six weeks before he was due. My water's break. <laughs> I had George six weeks early. Um, and I remember the, the team at Diffid hadn't got my calls over the weekend to say, I can't 
be at this board meeting where everything was going to get signed off and then I'd go on a lovely period of uh, maternity leave before he was due so it was quite funny on Monday had to have an emergency staring because he wasn't well um and it was I got the phone out after I came out of the recovery theatre and there was all these missed calls from work so they were actually the first people to know I'd had a baby because I'm like I can't be at the full meeting I've just had a baby and obviously they were all delighted and all that kind of stuff so that was quite amusing but yeah it was a very conscious decision to move to somewhere uh, which would facilitate uh, that and then I had a year off uh, with George actually it was 15 months in the end because um, he wasn't very well to start with but absolutely all fine now and when I came back, I made a conscious decision to come back part-time. And there were very few jobs at my grade uh, that were part-time. That was one of the issues. And I think we have made a step change in that. There are a lot. And I think now, actually, all jobs have to be available as part-time or job share. Sorry, did you ever feel pressure in about wanting to go back to work? No, not really. I'd always said right from the beginning I wanted a year off. Uh, and then actually with the leave and the fact that I didn't have the month off before I was expecting because he came early, I could stretch that out a bit longer. Um, I did some temporary work in the department to start with because there wasn't a, a full um, kind of a permanent role for me part time. But I did uh, my first one, um, which was actually setting up the Armed Forces Covenant way back in um, 2010. So when it very first came out, writing the first publications um, our annual report for that and setting up uh, the very first armed forces kind of covenant policy um, and the person who had been doing it had been doing it four days a week and I really respected her thought she was brilliant but I was like, I'm sure I can do this in three days a week because uh, I only wanted to work three days a week and that was certainly my first mistake is trying to cram what was probably a full-time job into three days. Can you remember what the driver behind it was? I really wanted that job I really wanted to work on the Armed Forces Guard. I thought it'd be a brilliant job to do. It was really outward facing, working with a lot of local authorities, other government departments, working with the charity sector. It was something new. It was something that was going to benefit the Armed Forces community. So I really wanted that job. And then thinking about the team structure around me, I thought if I build up other elements of the team, then I could probably manage it three days a week. And I did. I did do that for... Uh, just uh, a year, over a year and a half nearly two years I think and then um, I applied for the I got pregnant again with my second and then I applied for the senior civil service whilst I was pregnant you have to bid for it way in advance it's quite a long process and it's a two-day assessment center but I remember I was because it's quite interesting a lot of people say when is the best time to go for promotions or go for the next big job and I don't know if there is ever a best time it's a bit like having children people say oh you, you know I think you're just really lucky about when it when it happens. And uh, I think you have to manage the events rather than pre-plan them too much. So really lucky, lucky to be pregnant. I passed the SCS Assessment Centre, um, but then I went off on another year's maternity leave before I had chance to pick it up. So then my first job back in the department on promotion was after I'd been out of the department for a year and I was in a job share. So I'd never worked in a job share before um and I'd never worked at that senior grade before so, what, sorry, so what that does was that quite mean daunting for me share? so I was doing uh, there was two of us in the same job so Ruth Bailey who was my job share partner she worked Monday to Wednesday I'd work Wednesday to Friday and we'd do some handover joint stuff that we needed to do on the Wednesday so I'd had obviously had lots of chats with her before we agreed to this she came to the house um a few times to make sure that our styles were very different, but our values and what we wanted to get out of the job were the same. Uh, but she'd been doing the job by herself for six months, nine months. 
So there was all these kind of anxieties that you get, oh my God, this is like a third job at SCS. He's already been doing it full time. How am I going to add value? I've been out of out of talking to adults for about a year because it's all been with babies. So um, yeah, there was lots of, but Ruth was brilliant and um, you soon get back into the swing of it. And how did you manage to go back to work? Because And, and I say that in terms of uh, child, child care, the support for your home life. I know, what was your situation? We've tried lots, we've tried some different things, to be honest. Um, at that stage, um, so I was working part-time and we paid for a nanny, but I was literally working to pay the nanny. It wasn't much left over. And I know a lot of people are in similar situations with childcare. You were literally working to pay uh, for that childcare support. We don't have any family nearby. So my mum lives in France. My in-laws are two hours away. My dad's three hours away. So we don't have any family near us to help. So we knew that whatever we did, we have to be completely self-contained. Yeah, I was going to say, I just want to go back. There's a couple of really interesting points I'd like to I'd like, like to discuss. So yeah. it was one was about working to pay for a nanny. And like you say, there's many other, many other yeah. uh, families that are in that situation. When we're talking about career progression, is essentially the juice worth the squeeze? So we're at the time when you're working to pay the nanny, it pro- I'm guessing it wasn't a very nice thought to go, well, we're not really getting a lot out of this. But looking back on that, was it worth doing that to, to keep your career going? Absolutely for me, because it wasn't just about it wasn't just about the financial benefit. It was the benefit of me mentally, physically going out for to work um, and being, you know, being able to contribute in some other way. I mean, fantastic. But obviously, people contribute. Um, as full-time mums it's a full-time job so you know but for me uh, having the ability to go out for work it was more it was more than just a financial reward it was more about having another optics to your life I guess. The other point point was going back with two young children were there any pinch points stress points of trying to juggle both those your career and your and your and your kids did you ever were there any ever anything that you sort of regretted in terms of i've missed that sports day or i you know i couldn't do that that you normally would have done it had you not had the career that you've got yeah yeah all the time i think that's a constant juggle all the time and you kind of just have to so every you know people often talk about work life balance i don't think that any in any one day my life is particularly balanced across the two. I think Sunday's work get more of me, like perhaps today, because I started really early and I know I'm going to finish late. But yesterday, maybe the kids got more of me. So I kind of think as long as it's in balance over a, a period of time, then that for me is OK. But I don't feel that it's balanced every day. And there's certainly things that I've missed, but I have always exploited the flexible working. So I try, you know, until Rosie was two, Rosie's my youngest I worked part-time. It was only when she was two and went to a nursery at the same school that George was at that I came back full-time. Um, but yeah, you miss stuff. But I try and put stuff in the diary. You know, if it's sports day, then I'll, you know, I take annual leave or work flexibly. If it's something really important, but other things I have missed, I know I missed some, an assembly that, you know, one of them was in or one time when one of them was playing the drums at a recital and you, and you miss it. And, you, you know, you do feel guilty about it. But I, I think you've got to have a bit of self-compassion too. I think the benefits of having a, a mum that works that can bring in some other optics uh, for me is helpful too. But yeah, it's definitely, um, 
you definitely do miss things. And I miss things at work. So there's lots of things I can't do at work because I want to be home. Uh, there's lots of courses that, you know, are a week long. And I remember, you know, I, I was feeding Rosie until she was quite old. Um, or is it George? Um, so I couldn't go on a week's long course. And they're like, it was a prerequisite for doing something else. So I was like, well, I can't do it because I can't be away for a week. And my husband works full time and we have to really balance the childcare. So, um, we have we normally have set days where we do drop off and pickups and then we just we not always do a, a diary record kind of the Sunday that the week before to say okay is that all still 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 doable kind of thing because we and um, we're an hour and a half away from London as well so it's a three-hour roundway commute so uh if you don't get on that four o'clock train you can't be at school for half five to pick them up from after school club so so I was speaking to a friend of mine and she is a fairly high up consultant she I mean she does she does very well for herself. She's very good at what she does. And she was saying that it got to the point where she had that both of those areas of her life were firing on all cylinders. The kids were young, work is going yeah. through the roof. And she felt like she wasn't good at anything because she yes. couldn't give her time to either thing, either area to be good at one or the other. And it, yeah she ended up being in the middle and felt like she was turning around on the spot because she didn't know, like she wouldn't have a handle on, not that she didn't have a handle on anything, but it was more to do with, I don't feel that I'm adding value in either, either area. Yes. Completely relate to that. You don't feel that you're nailing either sometimes. And I think that's when you perhaps need to stop pause and just say, look, are your kids happy? Are they, you know, they, you know, and it's funny when you said earlier, you know, you're a, you know you're successful in your career and you're you're a you know a good mum or whatever and I just kind of think we probably need to ask work or the kids that because they're they're the ones that determine that rather than me but I think there are definitely times when you think that you're not naming either of it um and I think it's really important to just do a, a check and just say okay actually what have I achieved recently what are the what are the pluses and you know even if it's as basic as writing some stuff down then are the kids happy and actually overall um you know make sure you've got and I think just think sometimes I'm, I'm sure that people without children probably feel that they're not always nailing the job all the time I think we probably put additional pressure on ourselves thinking that we have to be super mum and everything has to be home cooked and the children have to be immaculate having done all their homework I mean COVID reality of that was just you just you know if the kids spent a bit more time in their gadgets and I'd yeah, like them to just have a yellow dinner go. every time every now and then you know nuggets <laughs> and chips <laughs> in the oven <laughs> well yeah I think that's reality isn't I, I, it? I think it's I'd um, like to go back yeah. to the uh, a point that you mentioned about your your immediate support as well about parents not being close and you know there's a saying that it takes a village to raise raise a child well you clearly didn't have didn't have a village so what effect did that have on on your family yeah I'm not yeah I'm not sure that we have really I mean as the kids got older it was possible for them to to say spend a week with their grandparents but it was only since you know in the last couple of years we've really been able to do that and obviously we haven't with covid um so it is tricky but you know that and you know we i haven't seen we haven't seen mum since um christmas 19 so well over a year now because obviously being in france is really hard to get to so i know she's really feeling it and trying to we're trying to do all the zooms and stuff no i mean it's just you know seeing them the weekends that you can see we probably only see 
them two or three times a year, even pre-COVID, to be honest, because life's just really busy, isn't it? And the kids are busy at weekends, you're busy at weekends, plus that's your only downtime. That's the only time where it's just the four of you, where you can go and do your own, get back together and rebuild together after a really busy week. Did you ever have any times where juggling the both, you just thought, I can't do this? And if if you did have thoughts like that, what, what did you do to continue to move forward? Um, so we, there was a point, I think, when both of them were really young and the commute to London just felt, yeah, felt quite tough and rushing back and you're missing stuff at work in the evenings because you're rushing back, but then you're rushing back and you're not getting that good quality time with the kids because it's late and, you know, it's dinner in bed and that's kind of it. Um, but I, I did, and I did think, do I just do a different type of job? Um you know, one that's just less demand, one that perhaps I'd find less demanding. But I don't think I'd have been satisfied doing that. And I also think I'd have made ways to find it more challenging. You know, I remember it when I was at, at school, uh, yeah, just finished school and just in a summer job, I decided to work in a cake and district, district factory. It was a real just dolloping, just for a few weeks, dolloping cream on a cake type of stuff. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, I kind of reinvented one of the whole product lines about how you pack the botches and how you stack them and got it much more efficient and got the line down to two instead of three and save people. You know, it's just, I don't feel that I just, I don't think I'd be happy. And I don't think, I'd always want to be making the any improvements I could see, not saying that, you know, I, I think I'd always try and yeah, want no, to better that. things. Looking back on that time with the two, when the, the, the kids were really young, Looking back now, what would you tell yourself if you could in your younger self about that period and how to how to tackle that particular dynamic of balancing work and home? Yeah, I think actually I'd have probably um, give myself a bit more of a, a break or just split it with my husband a bit. So we always, you know, kids used to wake up early as they do, you know, kind of half five, six. And my son still is a half five, six, getting up every morning, which is not what time I want to get up on a Saturday or Sunday. So I think, uh, and we did use the tag team it when they were up really early so that one of us got a line. But I think now I'd say, you know, just get a break for an hour on a Saturday or a Sunday and just, it's okay to go for a walk by yourself. Just come back because dad's not going to be able to handle it on his own. (laughs) But I do think it's important just to have that, that time on your own. Um, you know, even if it's just going to the cafe and reading the papers for an hour. And I perhaps didn't do enough of that. And I think perhaps if I had done that, I'd have come back a bit more refreshed, whether it's otherwise it's all work and it's all kids and there's very little time for you to do your own thing. So maybe I should have stayed playing tennis or, you know, whatever it was. It's that self-care element, isn't think, it? It's trying to make time time for you. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I say this to a few exactly people um, when you're know, trying to do some like mentor coaching type stuff. And when I speak to women that are in a situation where they've got kids are trying to balance work and, and I say to them, what do you do for yourself? They said, I'll do PT three times a week. And I said, so for 90 minutes a week, you give yourself time. And then they, and they say, oh yeah, I didn't really see it like that. But it's really difficult. It's really difficult to try and prioritize yeah. you. And, yeah, and I think you feel guilty about it. I think you kind of think, well, no, this is my time to be with the family. I must be with the family all the time. And, you know, uh, now they're a bit older, it's it's different. But it's about the quality time, isn't it? It's about having that quality time. And I think you can perhaps have more quality time, you know, making sure you're rest, rested and you do feel that you've done a bit 
And I, I read a really interesting post on Instagram uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and it was the difference between self-care and being selfish. And self-care is about looking yeah. after yourself to be good for other people. And selfish is about just looking after yeah. yourself regardless of other people. And I think it's really difficult to try and yeah. just distinguish yeah, between really, the two really because then it makes it okay to go for that yeah. walk for an hour rather than thinking, oh, I need to be yeah. doing other things. How did the prioritization of work? So when the diary clash happens, who gets who who gets the <laughs> I no, I'm not having that meeting. It's- <laughs> oh, it's hilarious conversations. Yeah, it's hilarious because we're both the same grade now. So we're both directors. He's director in the cabinet office. I am in the uh, defense. So it is a bit like who trumps. Is it who who tasks you up? <laughs> it's like, well, I'm with Secretary of State and he's like, well, I'm yeah. with the Prime Minister. Or <laughs> it's just is a bit like that. No, we're pretty good to be honest. And um we're also good at trying to, we're really aware that people um, see what we're doing. Uh, you know, what, so you've got to role model this stuff. You've got to kind of, if you're going to talk about it, you've got to then walk the walk. Um, so it's really important that uh, we are seen to be doing that stuff. And for our teams um, to know that, you know, we're not going to be at all of the meetings and that's okay, you know. And that's why you have a team and not just one individual. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a process. It's been a lot easier during COVID, to be honest, because there hasn't been so much evening stuff going on and we haven't had the travel. So it's been much easier now. Uh, at the moment, it's just he does school pick up and drop off. But um, we've sorted that. I'm doing all the drop off. He's doing all the pickups. So it's, you know, it's easy. But yeah, uh, other times it, it is just it's, it's just about compromise, isn't it? But I think it's really important if you're not at the same grade, because we can be so hierarchical in defence, can't we? And I can imagine that a lot of people perhaps aren't, um, may not see themselves at a level. But it's it's not about that. It's about respect for each person's career. So it's not necessarily who's the most senior, who's seen the most senior person. It is it's respect for each other's careers and um I think that's really important. So it's not necessarily about, I would be a bit slightly tongue in cheek about who's seeing who, but it is, it is about having respect, I think. And do you think generally, this isn't a defence que- like specific question, but generally speaking, what's your, what's your suggestions on trying to enable more women to return to work if they chose to? Because that, that's always a, you know, we'll... I listen to a lot of um, stuff on the radio or watch TV about, well, we've, women have to go back to work after. Well, if they choose to, they might choose not to, and that's okay as well. But how yeah, would you what would you suggest to make that easier for what systems, structures would you have in place to support childcare, for instance, to be, you know, because some people's expenditure on childcare might be more than what they're earning. So I think in terms of coming back, to work if you want to, then find an organization that shares your values and finding a job that you really enjoy doing is really important because if you're going to spend time away and make those sacrifices, do it for an organization that's going to appreciate it and for work that you enjoy doing. Um, And then in terms of kind of practicalities, I think it's, you know, you just, you just have to look at the options that you can afford, I think. So, you know, we, we can't, I think, and, from my personal perspective, a nanny is easiest, but we can't afford a nanny at the moment. The kids, are, we've chosen to put the kids in a prep school and I chose to come back full time in order to do that because the school has breakfast and after school clubs, which the local school didn't. And it also has all of their activities all in one place. So I don't have to run 
don't have to do all the school runs after school and stuff. So instead of paying for all those extra activities after school and at weekends, they do it all through the school. But that means that we can't afford any kind of other wraparound care. It's all based on the school. Um, I make use of the childcare vouchers. So that saves us, I think it's about £2,000 each for each working parent. Uh, you can use those up to the age of 16 for your kids or even older if they've got any special educational needs. Uh, you can pay... I I use these to pay for breakfast club and after school club and also holiday club. So they're there at the school for a week's uh, holiday club over Easter. They've got three weeks off. So one week at Easter, they're at the school. They've only got one week holiday club going on with Andy will take one week off and I'm taking off the other week. It's trying to cover it. So that's what we do. So I guess it's like looking at what providers are there. I know uh, I also looked at um, child minders. So ones that look after children in their own home. Um, but we're, you know, we're lucky to, to live where we do and I kind of wanted the kids to enjoy what we have so that that just um there's loads of different options out there and obviously I think if um grandparents lived closer they'd really want to be involved and do a bit more of that so I do think it's you know having those conversations with families are really important because I know for example my sister-in-law um so my mother-in-law did provide a lot a lot of childcare for her used to do all of the children's pickups used to look after them after school every day. So, you know, it's a conversation to be had with family for sure. Uh, just there's loads of different options and it's looking at what can you afford? And then that kind of drives, how far can you commute to work? What kind of company can you work at? What's around you? Where do you live? You know, it kind of drives all these kind of decisions, I think. If we use an example of a family where a child's been born and the maternity as has come is coming to an end to try and or even school if you don't have the option for school before and after school clubs trying, trying to get a job between yeah. the hours of 9 30 and half two is yeah. is almost non-existent it really hard and that's what drove me to use that that uh this the prep school was because the school didn't have a before or after school so then i'd be paying for somebody to come in for the, an hour and a half and it's really hard to find people who want to do that so I had put an advert out for somebody who'd come and look after the kids you know from what was it we we need to leave at kind of half seven uh, or or early if one of us is doing the early shift um and it's really hard to find people who just want to do those hours either end of the school day so that's why we ended up moving um, you know a bit like working to pay the nanny now it's working to pay the school fees but that's a choice we've made and George is in his last year before he goes to state school next year so that'll be a bit easier from September uh, but it's a choice you make isn't it and we made that I made that on the basis that there was no breakfast or after school club there was no we couldn't get somebody who would look after the kids early or sooner plus when you think about all the clubs and stuff afterwards and yes I, I realized really really lucky to have that um, as a choice but it is really tricky it's really hard to find jobs that are just within school hours it tends to I see I, I guess it tends to be some of those who are able to work flexibly from home whether it's own business um, and I think companies are much better at that but I know um, you, you know my my sister found it really difficult she's got three kids and she just said it wasn't worth her going back to work um, she'd she didn't they had their own restaurant her and her husband um before they had kids um and a restaurant is is really hard to have when you've got kids because of the hours it's completely the opposite when kids are at school so um he he changed profession and she said it's not worth me going back to work because of the childcare costs 
Um, but she found um, bits to do uh, with the Suns kind of football league and stuff like that, which is now paid. Um, but it is really hard. It's a real challenge, um, I think, particularly if you have to commute and have those hours in two. So do you, you said that you had two years in total out with after you had both of your children. Do you think that when you went back to work that you felt that you were that you there was any disadvantage of having that year out so I don't yeah so I probably only in my head was it difficult because it hasn't actually borne out by reality on the whole so a lot of people I joined with back in uh, 2001 um actually it's a really good record it'd be interesting to see the actual stats but um you know, I and some of my other female colleagues have promoted faster than they have, even though they haven't had those years off and we have. Uh, so I haven't found that a lived reality in defence, actually. I still managed to keep up, if not promote sooner than some of the male colleagues that I joined at. So I don't think having a year out has had a bearing. Having had two, over two years out has really had a bearing on that. I think it's, it's um, those blockers you put in your head. You think that might be the case. And it might be different in the um, forces because of certain things that you have to jump through to get certain promotions. But it's um, all, all competitions now in the senior civil service are fair and open competition. So they're all advertised externally on the jobs website and you, are, you apply and interview in the usual way. So, um, no, I, I'm quite lucky in that I don't think it has. It was only um, the, your own internal uh, fears that that might happen. I spoke with uh, JJ Chalmers um, uh, last week, and he said so I recorded a podcast with him as well. But he said so he made a comment in that podcast, which really sort of gave me food for thought to try and explain maybe a, a way forward. And he said it for him, certainly with a disability. It's not about equality. We shouldn't be looking at making equality. So we should be make, trying to make equity. They said it's equity over equality. It's giving people the opportunity to be able to, to thrive and, and progress. And I never heard that in that phrase before. And I've been thinking about it since. And actually, because I asked him as well, well, how do you make that look like it's fair? And he said, but people don't ask to be injured. People don't ask to have a learning disability dis difficulty. People don't ask to, to have a mental illness or yeah, you might choose to have a child, but it's not the woman's fault for being pregnant. You see what I mean? And he said, it's about for, for him, it's about creating the equity to be for you to be able to still flourish and thrive regardless of that. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. It's not positive advantage or positive discrimination. I don't know if you've seen that diagram with the ladder, two people going up the wall. Uh, you know, a shorter person needs a longer ladder, a taller person doesn't need. So you're giving them two different size ladders, but they're both at the equal place at the wall. It's, it's, a, similar, it's a similar thing. You need might need slightly different mentoring, coaching support to get to the same place. Superficially, that would look like there's a disproportionate allocation of resources to certain people which wouldn't look fair. But so I suppose it's the education piece to say, well, no, we're making it, it is fair. We're giving the, the equity to that person to have the same as what you're, you've got. You don't, you don't need it. And that's great. That's really, really good. We're, yeah. we're double thumbs up for you. But it's, this person needs a little bit more opportunity than you do. 
doesn't mean to say we value them any more than 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 you. And I think that that might be where messaging sometimes, not necessarily again, not a defence, just generally is missed because it's the education piece to try and promote why it's happening, which isn't again yeah. the positive discrimination. It's more to do with affording the opportunity to people that might not have the same as someone else. Yeah might not have been able to have done all the same steps in their career because they've been out for two years or you can't do it because you can't spend three weeks away on a course or four weeks away on a course um you know it would be be quite hard I mean Andy and I have managed kind of courses where we are away and um you know he he's traveled with work he's been to Afghanistan Iraq and you know I've been um so we have been away for a few weeks at a time each time but it does take a an effort on the other person and the other person has to completely rejig their diary because we we don't have anybody else to support us so you know the other person takes a hit for that when I went to Sydney for the Invictus Games which is obviously a huge honour and amazing but for that whole time that I was out there he was the one doing every single drop-off pickup and sorting out the kids for that whole time so it, yeah it's it's um having that kind of mutual respect and yeah opportunity do think, I guess. Do you think that that you You've seen any, or have the kids said anything about uh, the 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 professional careers that you're trying to manage in terms of home? Yeah, I think some. I think sometimes, it, it, you know, we don't. I don't feel that we always get the balance right. It was really hard during COVID when we were so so busy and they were at home, um, and just not having the time because you're on back to back calls and they're wanting help. And I remember just like. Ah! um so there definitely there definitely have been those times but I think overall they're really proud of what we both do and see can see that we get a lot from it um and know that we've done really interesting things with it so um you know it's given me opportunities and some just fantastic opportunities that I'm able to come home and talk to them about which is which is fantastic I think it's really important that we've had this conversation because I'm fascinated. I've got two young daughters and I want them to understand that when they, when they grow up, they have choice and they yeah. can choose to be amazing and be a stay at home mum. And that's, that's for me, that's the hardest job in the world without any shadow of a doubt. Yes. I mean, yeah. how, yeah. That, how I you agree. can do that. I don't, don't understand. Like it's, it's carnage, especially when you increase your volume of, <laughs> of children um, in a good way, obviously, or, yeah. The choice is you can have a professional career, but there's a third choice as well. And I think that conversations yes. like this, that young young women and girls can listen to this and say, you know what, it's going to be hard. There's a trade-off, but much the same as yeah. being a stay-at-home mum or having a professional career, that's hard as well. And you have to trade off in the yeah, same way. Absolutely. But I think if you're really passionate about something and you know what you really want to do, then you'll find ways to do it. And there's bound to be bumps along the way and not every day is going to be rosy but it isn't for anybody so I think you know if you've got a passion or you really want to do something then you'll find ways of making it work and you pull all the different levers that you can in order to make it successful but just be realistic that there are going to be some fantastic highs and there will be fantastic highs but there are going to be some bumps and that's okay that's life that's normal and that's why it's really important that you do the self-care the self-compassion you know the resilience bit uh, because that's all part of life, I think. But don't, um, it would be a real shame if people aren't pursuing those dreams because they're putting barriers up before those barriers have happened. So perhaps it's, yeah, perhaps it's just having the confidence in yourself that there are so many different ways to make to make it happen. 
Helen, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, it's been a really insightful conversation and I hope that you know this this inspires and helps other young women to to have successful careers both at home and and in their family so keep doing what you're doing it's amazing the work that you're doing even though that on a screen it might not feel like it but it is thank you that's so thank you very much it's fantastic that you're doing these podcasts and I hope you know if it just um inspires one person then that's that's worth doing and just a huge thank you for all you're doing on mental health we've been working together on on it for a few years now but all the stuff that you've been doing uh, through your work on what we gain has just been hugely inspiring so a huge thank you to you too oh thank you very much helen i'll speak to you soon take care you